Part 1, Chapter 5 of A Popular History of Astronomy During the Nineteenth Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in August 2017. A Popular History of Astronomy During the Nineteenth Century by Agnes Mary Clark. Part 1, Chapter 5. Comets, Part 2. Bielas is not the only vanished comet. Brorsen's, discovered at Kiel in 1846 and observed at four subsequent returns, failed unaccountably to become visible in 1890. Yet numerous sentinels were on the alert to surprise its approach along a well-ascertained track traversed in five and a half years. The object presented from the first a somewhat time-worn aspect. It was devoid of tail or any other kind of appendage, and the rapid loss of the light acquired during perihelion passage was accompanied by inordinate expansion of an already tenuous globular mass. Another lost or mislaid comet is one found by De Vico at Rome, August 22, 1844. It was expected to return early in 1850, but did not, and has never since been seen, unless its reappearance as E. Swift's comet of 1894 should be ratified by closer inquiry. A telescopic comet with a period of seven and a half years, discovered November 22, 1843, by M. Fay of the Paris Observatory, formed the subject of a characteristically patient and profound inquiry on the path of Le Verrier, designed to test its suggested identity with Lexel's comet of 1770. The result was decisive against the hypothesis of Waltz, the divergences between the orbits of the two bodies being found to increase instead of to diminish, as the history of the newcomer was traced backward into the previous century. Faye's comet pursues the most nearly circular path of any similar known object. Even at its nearest approach to the sun, it remains farther off than Mars when he is most distant from it, and it was proved by the admirable researches of Professor Axel Möller, director of the Swedish Observatory of Lund, to exhibit no trace of the action of a resisting medium. Periodical comets are evidently bodies which have each lived through a chapter of accidents, and a significant hint as to the nature of their adventures can be gathered from the fact that their aphelia are pretty closely grouped about the tracks of the major planets. Halley's and five other comets are thus related to Neptune. Three connect themselves with Uranus, two with Saturn, above a score with Jupiter some form of dependence is plainly indicated and the researches of tisserand calandreux and newton of yale college leave scarcely a doubt that the capture theory represents the essential truth in the matter the original parabolic paths of these comets were then changed into ellipses by the backward pull of a planet whose sphere of attraction they chanced to enter when approaching the sun from outer space Moreover, since a body thus affected should necessarily return at each revolution to the scene of encounter, the same process of retardation may, in some cases, have been repeated many times, until the more restricted cometary orbits were reduced to their present dimensions. 
the prevalence too among periodical comets of direct motion is shown to be inevitable by m calandreux's demonstration that those travelling in a retrograde direction would by planetary action be thrown outside the probable range of terrestrial observation the scarcity of hyperbolic comets can be similarly explained they would be created whenever the attractive influence of the disturbing planet was exerted in a forward or accelerative sense but could come only by a rare exception to our notice the inner planets including the earth have also unquestionably played their parts in modifying cometary orbits and mr plummer suggests with some show of reason that the capture of Encke's comet may be a feat due to mercury no great comet appeared between the star which presided at the birth of napoleon and the vintage comet of eighteen eleven the latter was first described by Flaugerg at Viviers, March 26, 1811. Vizhnevsky at Kasks in southern Russia caught a final glimpse of it, August 17, 1812. Two disappearances in the solar rays as the Earth moved round in its orbit, and two reappearances after conjunction, were included in this unprecedentedly long period of visibility of 510 days. This relative permanence, so far as the inhabitants of Europe were concerned, was due to the high northern latitude attained near perihelion, combined with a certain leisureliness of movement along a path everywhere external to that of the earth. The magnificent luminous train of this body, on October 15, the day of its nearest terrestrial approach, covered an arc of the heavens twenty-three and a half degrees in length, corresponding to a real extension of one hundred millions of miles. Its form was described by Sir William Herschel as that of an inverted hollow cone, and its colour as yellowish, strongly contrasted with the bluish-green tint of the head round which it was flung like a transparent veil. The planetary disk of the head, 127,000 miles across, appeared to be composed of strongly condensed nebulous matter, but somewhat eccentrically situated within it was a star-like nucleus of a reddish tinge, which Herschel presumed to be solid, and ascertained, with his usual care, to have a diameter of 428 miles. From the total absence of phases, as well as from the vivacity of its radiance, he confidently inferred that its light was not borrowed, but inherent. This remarkable apparition formed the subject of a memoir by Olbers, the striking yet steadily reasoned out suggestions contained in which there was at that time no means of following up with profit. Only of late has the electrical theory, of which Zöllner regarded Olbers as the founder, assumed a definite and measurable form, capable of being tested by the touchstone of fact, as knowledge makes its slow inroads on the fundamental mystery of the physical universe. The paraboloidal shape of the bright envelope separated by a dark interval from the head of the great comet of 1811 and constituting, as it were, the root of its tail, seemed to the astronomer of Bremen to reveal the presence of a double repulsion. The expelled vapours accumulating were the two forces, solar and cometary, balanced each other, and being then swept backwards in a huge train. 
he accordingly distinguished three classes of these bodies first comets which develop no matter subject to solar repulsion these have no tails and are probably mere nebulosities without solid nuclei secondly comets which are acted upon by solar repulsion only and consequently throw out no emanations toward the sun of this kind was a bright comet visible in 1807 thirdly comets like that of 1811 giving evidence of action of both kinds these are distinguished by a dark hoop encompassing the head and dividing it from the luminous envelope as well as by an obscure caudal axis resulting from the hollow cone-like structure of the tail again the ingenious view subsequently propounded by m bredikin as to the connection between the form of these appendages and the kind of matter composing them was very clearly anticipated by olbers the amount of tail curvature he pointed out depends in each case upon the proportion borne by the velocity of the ascending particles to that of the comet in its orbit the swifter the outrush the straighter the resulting tail but the velocity of the ascending particles varies with the energy of their repulsion by the sun and this again it may be presumed with their quality thus multiple tails are developed when the same comet throws off as it approaches perihelion specifically distinct substances the long straight ray which proceeded from the comet of 1807 for example was doubtless made up of particles subject to a much more vigorous solar repulsion than those formed into the shorter curved emanation issuing from it nearly in the same direction in the comet of 1811 he calculated that the particles expelled from the head travelled to the remote extremity of the tail in eleven minutes indicating by this enormous rapidity of movement comparable to that of the transmission of light the action of a force much more powerful than the opposing one of gravity the not uncommon phenomena of multiple envelopes on the other hand he explained as due to the varying amounts of repulsion exercised by the nucleus itself on the different kinds of matter developed from it the movements and perturbations of the comet of 1811 were no less profoundly studied by argelander than its physical constitution by olbers the orbit which he assigned to it is of such vast dimensions as to require no less than three thousand sixty-five years for the completion of its circuit and to carry the body describing it at each revolution to fourteen times the distance from the sun of the frigid neptune thus when it last visited our neighbourhood achilles may have gazed on its imposing train as he lay on the sands all night bewailing the loss of patroclus and when it returns it will perhaps be to shine upon the ruins of empires and civilizations still deep buried among the secrets of the coming time on the twenty sixth of june eighteen nineteen while the head of a comet passed across the face of the sun the earth was in all probability involved in its tail but of this remarkable double event nothing was known until more than a month later when the fact of its past occurrence emerged from the calculations of olbers nor had the comet itself been generally visible previous to the first days of july several observers however on the publication of these results 
brought forward accounts of singular spots perceived by them upon the sun at the time of the transit and an original drawing of one of them by pastorf of buchholz has been preserved this undoubtedly authentic delineation represents a round nebulous object with a bright spot in the centre of decidedly cometary aspect and not in the least like an ordinary solar macula mr hind nevertheless showed its position on the sun to be irreconcilable with that which the comet must have occupied and mr ranyard's discovery of a similar smaller drawing by the same author dated may twenty sixth eighteen twenty eight reduces to evanescence the probability of its connection with that body indeed recent experience renders very doubtful the possibility of such an observation the return of halley's comet in eighteen thirty five was looked forward to as an opportunity for testing the truth of floating cometary theories and did not altogether disappoint expectation as early as eighteen seventeen its movements and disturbances since seventeen fifty nine were proposed by the turin academy of sciences as the subject of a prize ultimately awarded to baron damoiseau ponte coulomb was adjudged a similar distinction by the paris academy in eighteen twenty nine while rosenberger's calculations were rewarded with the gold medal of the royal astronomical society they were verified by the detection at rome august sixth eighteen thirty five of a nearly circular misty object not far from the predicted place of the comet it was not however until the middle of september that it began to throw out a tail which by the fifteenth of october had attained a length of about twenty four degrees on the nineteenth at madras it extended to fully thirty the head showing to the naked eye as a reddish star rather brighter than aldebaran or antares some curious phenomena accompanied the process of tail formation an outrush of luminous matter resembling in shape a partially opened fan issued from the nucleus towards the sun and at a certain point like smoke driven before a high wind was vehemently swept backwards in a prolonged train the appearance of the comet at this time was compared by bessel who watched it with minute attention to that of a blazing rocket he made the singular observation that this fan of light which seemed the source of supply for the tail oscillated like a pendulum to and fro across a line joining the sun and nucleus in a period of four three-fifth days and he was unable to escape from the conclusion that a repulsive force about twice as powerful as the attractive force of gravity was concerned in the production of these remarkable effects nor did he hesitate to recur to the analogy of magnetic polarity or to declare still more emphatically than olbers the emission of the tail to be a purely electrical phenomenon the transformations undergone by this body were almost as strange and complete as those which affected the brigands in dante's inferno when first seen it wore the aspect of a nebula later it put on the distinctive garb of a comet it next appeared as a star finally it dilated first in a spherical then in a paraboloidal form until may five eighteen thirty six when it vanished from herschel's observation at feldhausen as if by melting into adjacent space from the excessive diffusion of its light 
A very uncommon circumstance in its development was that it lost all trace of tail previous to its arrival at perihelion on the 16th of November. Nor did it begin to recover its elongated shape for more than two months afterwards. On the 23rd of January, Boguslavsky perceived it as a star of the sixth magnitude, without measurable disk. Only two nights later, MacLear, director of the Cape Observatory, found the head to be 131 seconds across. And so rapidly did the augmentation of size progress that Sir John Herschel estimated the actual bulk of this singular object to have increased fortyfold in the ensuing week. I can hardly doubt, he remarks, that the comet was fairly evaporated in perihelio by the heat and resolved into transparent vapor, and is now in process of rapid condensation and pre-precipitation on the nucleus. A plausible but no longer admissible interpretation of this still unexplained phenomenon. The next return of this body, which will be considerably accelerated by Jupiter's influence, is expected to take place in 1910. By means of an instrument devised to test the quality of light, Arago obtained decisive evidence that some at least of the radiance proceeding from Halley's comet was derived by reflection from the sun. Indications of the same kind had been afforded by the comet which suddenly appeared above the northwestern horizon of Paris, July 3, 1819, after having enveloped, as already stated, our terrestrial abode in its flimsy appendages, but the polariscope had not then reached the perfection subsequently given to it, and its testimony was accordingly far less reliable than in 1835. Such experiments, however, are in reality more beautiful and ingenious than instructive, since ignited as well as obscure bodies possess the power of throwing back light incident upon them, and will consequently transmit to us from the neighbourhood of the sun rays partly direct, partly reflected, of which a certain proportion will exhibit the peculiarity known as polarisation. The most brilliant comets of the century were suddenly rivalled, if not surpassed, by the extraordinary object which blazed out beside the sun, February 28, 1843. It was simultaneously perceived in Mexico and the United States, in southern Europe and at sea off the Cape of Good Hope, where the passengers on board the Owen Glendower were amazed by the sight of a short, dagger-like object, closely following the sun towards the western horizon. At Florence, Amici found its distance from the sun's centre at noon to be only 1 degree 23 minutes, and spectators at Parma were able, when sheltered from the direct glare of midday, to trace the tail to a length of 4 or 5 degrees. The full dimensions of this astonishing appurtenance began to be disclosed a few days later. On the 3rd of March it measured 25 degrees, and on the 11th, at Calcutta, Mr. Clarihue observed a second streamer, nearly twice as long as the first, and making an angle with it of 18 degrees, to have been emitted in a single day. This rapidity of projection, Sir John Herschel remarked, conveys an astounding impression of the intensity of the forces at work. It is clear, he continued, that if we have to deal here with matter such as we conceive it, that is, possessing inertia, at all, 
it must be under the dominion of forces incomparably more energetic than gravitation and quite of a different nature on the seventeenth of march a silvery ray some forty degrees long and slightly curved at its extremity shone out above the sunset clouds in this country no previous intimation had been received of the possibility of such an apparition and even astronomers no lightning messages across the seas being as yet possible were perplexed the nature of the phenomenon indeed soon became evident but the wonder of it did not diminish with the study of its attendant circumstances never before within astronomical memory had our system been traversed by a body pursuing such an adventurous career the closest analogy was offered by the great comet of 1680 newton's which rushed past the sun at a distance of only one hundred forty four thousand miles but even this on the cosmical scale scarcely perceptible interval was reduced nearly one-half in the case we are now concerned with the centre of the comet of 1843 approached the formidable luminary within seventy-eight thousand miles leaving it is estimated a clear space of not more than thirty-two thousand between the surfaces of the bodies brought into such perilous proximity the escape of the wanderer was however secured by the extraordinary rapidity of its flight it swept past perihelion at a rate three hundred sixty six miles a second which if continued would have carried it right round the sun in two hours and in only eleven minutes more than that short period it actually described half the curvature of its orbit an arc of one hundred eighty degrees although in travelling over the remaining half many hundreds of sluggish years will doubtless be consumed the behaviour of this comet may be regarded as an experimentum crucis as to the nature of tails for clearly no fixed appendage many millions of miles in length could be whirled like a brandished sabre from one side of the sun to the other in one hundred thirty-one minutes commentary trains are then as albers rightly conceived them to be emanations not appendages inconceivably rapid outflows of highly rarefied matter the greater part if not all of which becomes permanently detached from the nucleus that of the comet of 1843 reached about the time that it became visible in this country the extravagant length of two hundred millions of miles it was narrow and bounded by nearly parallel and nearly rectilinear lines resembling to borrow a comparison of aristotle's a road through the constellations and after the third of march showed no trace of hollowness the axis being in fact rather brighter than the edges distinctly perceptible in it were those singular aurora-like coruscations which gave to the tresses of charles v's comet the appearance as cardan described it of a torch agitated by the wind and have not unfrequently been observed to characterize other similar objects a consideration first adverted to by albers proves these to originate in our own atmosphere for owing to the great differences in the distances from the earth of the origin and extremity of such vast effluxes the light proceeding from their various parts is transmitted to our eyes in notably different intervals of time 
Consequently, a luminous undulation, even though propagated instantaneously from end to end of a comet's tail, would appear to us to occupy many minutes in its progress. But the coruscations in question pass as swiftly as a falling star. They are, then, of terrestrial production. Periods of the utmost variety were by different computators assigned to the body, which arrived at perihelion, February 27, 1843, at 9.47 p.m. Professor Hubbard of Washington found that it required 533 years to complete the revolution. Messrs. Logier and Mauvais of Paris considered the true term to be 35. Clausen looked for its return at the end of between 6 and 7. A recent discussion by Professor Kreutz of all the available data gives a probable period of 512 years for this body, and precludes its hypothetical identity with the comet of 1668, known as the Spina of Cassini. It may now be asked, what were the conclusions regarding the nature of comets, drawn by astronomers from the considerable amount of novel experience accumulated during the first half of this century? The first and best assured was that the matter composing them is in a state of extreme tenuity. Numerous and trustworthy observations showed that the feeblest rays of light might traverse some hundreds of thousands of miles of their substance, even where it was apparently most condensed, without being perceptibly weakened. Nay, instances were recorded in which stars were said to have gained in brightness from the process. On the 24th of June, 1825, Olbers saw the comet then visible all but obliterated by the central passage of a star too small to be distinguished with the naked eye, its own light remaining wholly unchanged. A similar effect was noted December 1, 1811, when the great comet of that year approached so close to Altair, the Lucida of the Eagle, that the star seemed to be transformed into the nucleus of the comet. Even the central blaze of Halley's comet in 1835 was powerless to impede the passage of stellar rays. Struve observed at Dorpat, on September 17, an all but central occultation. Glacier won, so far as he could ascertain, absolutely so eight days later at Cambridge. In neither case was there any appreciable diminution of the star's light. Again, on the 11th of October, 1847, Mr. Dawes, an exceptionally keen observer, distinctly saw a star of the tenth magnitude through the exact center of a comet discovered on the first of that month by Maria Mitchell of Nantucket. Examples, on the other hand, are not wanting of the diminution of stellar light under similar circumstances, and we meet two alleged instances of the vanishing of a star behind a comet. Bartmann of Geneva observed the first, November 28, 1828, but his instrument was defective, and the eclipsing body, Encke's comet, has shown itself otherwise perfectly translucent. The second case of occultation occurred September 13, 1890, when an eleventh-magnitude star was stated to have completely disappeared during the transit over it of Denning's comet. From the failure to detect any effects of refraction in the light of stars occulted by comets, it was inferred, though as we know now erroneously, 
that their composition is rather that of dust than that of vapour, that they consist not of any continuous substance, but of discrete solid particles, very finely divided and widely scattered. In conformity with this view was the known smallness of their masses. Laplace had shown that if the amount of matter forming Lexel's comet had been as much as one five-thousandth of that contained in our globe, the effect of its attraction, on the occasion of its approach within one million four hundred thirty-eight thousand miles of the earth, July 1st, 1770, must have been apparent in the lengthening of the year. And that some comets, at any rate, possess masses immeasurably below this maximum value, was clearly proved by the undisturbed parallel march of the two fragments of Bielas in 1846. But the discovery in this branch most distinctive of the period under review is that of short-period comets, of which four were known in 1850. These, by the character of their movements, serve as a link between the planetary and cometary worlds, and by the nature of their construction seem to mark a stage in cometary decay. For that comets are rather transitory agglomerations than permanent products of cosmical manufacture, appeared to be demonstrated by the division and disappearance of one amongst their number, as well as by the singular and rapid changes in appearance undergone by many, and the seemingly irrevocable diffusion of their substance visible in nearly all. They might then be defined, according to the ideas respecting them prevalent fifty years ago, as bodies unconnected by origin with the solar system, but encountered, and to some extent appropriated, by it in its progress through space, owing their visibility in great part, if not altogether, to light reflected from the sun, and their singular and striking forms to the action of repulsive forces emanating from him, the penalty of their evanescent splendour being paid in gradual waste and final dissipation and extinction. End of chapter 5